This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to the Letter from the Bureau. This is a part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel which we are refreshing with new content. I'm your host, ST's foreign editor, Bhagyashree Gareka. Now, the Letter from the Bureau is meant to be a detour, sometimes a scenic detour from the raging news of the day. We like to talk about life as it goes on amid and in spite of the crises and the headlines of the day. So I chat each month with one of ST's 30-odd correspondents in 15 cities across the Asia-Pacific, the United States and Europe. And they share with you some of the more interesting things happening in their countries. In our second episode, we are talking to ST's China correspondent, Danson Chong, who's based in Beijing. Welcome to the show, Danson. Hello, Vagya. Okay, so it's party time in China this year. Uh, I mean, of course, that the country is celebrating the centenary of the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, you had a very interesting column on this topic in the Straits Times a couple of weeks ago, Danson. Uh, so tell me, you've spoken about a red fever that's sweeping the country. So let's say if I were to fly into Beijing now, and of course, that's not easy to do because of pandemic. But if I were to walk through the seats, you know, and walk around the Tiananmen Square, would I see a wash of red? Well, Bagya, there is some sense of that. You know, uh, it does seem like China is, is getting into a celebratory mood. Uh, you see posters being put up at subway stations, uh, billboards, uh, uh, you know, exhorting the people to follow the party. And the museums, you know, have been uh, refurbished uh, for the occasion. Uh, you know, I, I've not been to Tiananmen Square in a few weeks, but I was having a look on uh, Douyin, you know, which is the, the, the Chinese equivalent of, of TikTok uh, last night. And I saw a video already being posted of Tiananmen Square uh, being dressed up for the occasion in July. Now, you know, you've spoken of party museums drawing record crowds uh, in your column. Uh, you know, that's actually quite amazing. Uh, what do you think are people interested in learning about the party? Uh, yes, uh, you know, my, my, my column I wrote about how the party uh, was sending people like, uh, you know, mid-level uh, cadres uh, to party schools. Uh, you have uh, state-owned enterprises and, and schools uh, also sending the students and employees to historic sites, you know, critical to the revolutionary history of the party. And I think a point that people seemed quite interested in uh, were some of the, the party's uh, sort of earlier struggles. For example, I was in Tsinkanshan uh, and, and Tsuni last month. Uh, which, uh, you know, were, were areas critical to the rise of, of Mao Zedong from the late uh, 1920s onward. Uh, and, and, you know, these museums there, you know, highlighted stories of, of personal sacrifice, uh, not just, uh, you know, of party leaders, but also of, of rank and file members. You know, you have stories about uh, how party village chief, you know, refused to, to divulge the name of um, communist members under pain of torture, you know, and he would, you know, he instead, you know, wrote uh, Long Live the Revolution in his own blood, you know, and people go in and, and, and learn about these stories and come out and sort of emerge uh, shell-shocked and, and, and say that, you know, I, I didn't know that, that there were all these stories of sacrifices uh, that, that ordinary people made, the early days uh, of the party. Oh, okay. That sounds quite interesting, actually. Um, but before we go uh, further, uh, when exactly is the Red Letter Day? When was the party founded? And, you know, tell us a bit about the celebrations that are planned for that day. Okay. Um, well, July 1st is the day I think we should all be looking at. Uh, I think a lot of people were, were looking forward to military parade 
but uh, you know, there, there won't be a, a military parade this time. I, most of the time, these uh, parades where you know they roll out all the military gear uh, are held, you know, on, on important anniversaries of the country's uh, founding, like when the PRC turned seventy uh, two years ago. You know, this is the the party's uh, centenary, so the celebrations I think are slightly different. So far, they've launched a nationwide campaign uh, called "Follow the Party Forever." So in Chinese, that's "Yong Yuan Gen Dang Zou" to tell people to study, you know, party history. You know, there've been exhibitions uh, at various museums across the country, and and uh, you know, on the actual day, there will likely be a big event where uh, Mrs. C will uh, hand out medals to to party members and there will be a big uh, gala evening show likely screened on TV. So we're talking about the largest party in the world. Correct me if I'm wrong, Datsun. What's the membership like? Uh, it's about 92 million uh, thereabouts. Wow, that's yeah. quite staggering. 92 million party men. Okay, so give us a very quick tour of the Communist Party history. You know, the key dates or key events that, you know, to... to uh, sort of flesh it out in our minds as we talk further about these things. Tell us a bit about the party, a potted history. <laughs> okay, okay, so it's going to be very difficult to summarize 100 sure. years, but I'll, I'll let me try and be concise. So we were saying earlier, uh, the party is, you know, very intertwined with with the, uh, you know, modern China as we know it. But I think uh, we can sort of begin somewhere just after the the overthrow of the the Qing Dynasty in 1912, um, so the party began sort of an informal as an informal network of students and intellectuals, which sort of spread throughout the provinces of China uh, during the late 1910s. Uh, so the party was officially founded uh, in 1921, uh, and Mao was one of the uh, founding members. But at that time, he was not a major figure. It took years, you know, beginning in 1927 in Chen for Mao to rise to power. Uh, so the party spent its early years uh, fighting with the nationalist Kuomintang. And then came the Long March, uh, which was the strategic retreat led by Mao uh, to uh, the country's northwest, where, you know, the, the so the, the communists could regroup. Uh, later, they united with the Kuomintang against Japan. After World War II, uh, you know, the party fought a civil war uh, with the, the Kuomintang before it emerged victorious in 1949, which was when uh, the PRC was founded. China, of course, by no means had a smooth road. You know, we remember mistakes uh, the party made under Mao, like the Great Leap Forward and, and the Cultural Revolution before, you know, Deng Xiaoping opened China up in 1978 with the reform and opening up policy. Uh, China, of course, I think started coming into its own, really, you know, beginning with the, the, the Beijing Olympics in 2008. And then uh, when Mr. Xi, you know, came to power, he, he outlined his goal of, you know, building a modern socialist China with the party at the forefront by uh, 2049, which is the 100th anniversary of the PRC. Right. Uh, that, that's, that's very illuminating. Uh, tell me something, Jansen. Today, how core is the party to, you know, everyday life in China? Uh, does everyone try and become a member? Is it easy to be a member? And does it hurt a person professionally or socially if you're not a member? So that's a very good question. The party is, is surely very important, but it doesn't mean that you have to be a party member to be able to you know, get through life or, or to be able to, to succeed. Uh, like we were discussing earlier, there are about 92 million party members, but you know, China is a, a country of 1.4 uh, billion people. So uh, it's, it's, uh, party members are, are still, I think, in, in the minority. But having said that, uh, you know, it, it does help you uh, professionally and socially uh, tremendously if you are a party member. 
So to become a member is not easy. You know, the acceptance rate into the party has been compared to, you know, getting into an Ivy League school in the US. So there are very stringent criteria. You know, uh, members have to write essays. They have to go through an interview. Uh, you know, they've been recommended by uh, either, you, you know, uh, members in their party cell or, you know, university professors. Uh, one of the reasons uh, people want to join the party is, uh, you know, is because, uh, you know, it helps them uh, prof professionally. A lot of employers feel uh, that they would rather hire party members because, you know, these they feel these people have been vouched for by the party. And, you know, once you get into this uh, sort of elite club, then, you know, you get, uh, there's all sorts of networking opportunities uh, to help you get ahead. Uh, and because the state is such a big part of uh, life here in China, uh, if you're a party member, it does, uh, you know, help you get ahead professionally in, in, if you work in, let's say, a government department or a state-owned enterprise. Is there a membership fee for the party, Denson? Yes, there is. There's an annual membership fee, but it's not high. It's a nominal sum. Uh, I, I can't remember what it is exactly, but uh, you know, I, I know that an ordinary person can afford it. If you liked Letter from the Bureau so far, please subscribe to the Asian Insider podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to Dan and Chong and our conversation about the Chinese Communist Party's centenary. Okay, so, so here's the thing. You said the party membership itself is quite selective. So it, is it the case that the more educated people tend to be party members? And is the, you know, China's vast uh, rural hinterland, uh, the man in the village, the migrant laborer, uh, are those guys party members as well? Yes, well, you know, the, the CCP, I think, began sort of as a party, you know, of, of workers and, and uh, farmers. So, you know, this has traditionally been sort of the, formed the, the bulk of its members. But having said that, you know, over the last, I think, 10 plus years, uh, the share of blue collar and sort of rural uh, workers in the party has been uh, falling gradually. I think part of the reason for that is that the party has been quite aggressive uh, with trying to recruit uh, talent into its ranks and it's been trying to um, get, for example, inviting uh, university students who are quite outstanding to, to join the party. I see. Uh, now, in your column, I remember you said that President Xi Jinping also had a cautionary message for the party men. Uh, you know, you used his quote and you said, Mr. Xi had called for everyone to learn about the struggle that the party had to have and, you know, people should not be complacent. He also says that the biggest risk for the party at this time is from internal deterioration and uh, people should not be deviating from the party's purpose and it should not, the party should not lose the support of the majority. So my question to you is, what is the popular perception of the party at this time? At this time, the, the perception of the party, I think, is quite uh, positive. Uh, traditionally, I think the, the CCP uh, enjoys quite wide support in China. People look at how, uh, you know, in the span of a couple of decades, it's improved the lives of, of millions of people. Um, but COVID-19, I think, has been a particularly a major boost uh, for how people view uh, the party. Uh, support for you know the party at this point is at a very very high level okay uh, that's interesting to know because as we you know keep reading uh, and reporting 
you know, governments everywhere are facing this test of COVID, and um, uh, I think there might be some elections lost in the in the coming years and so on. Uh, but um, how exactly do you know about you know the perception of the party within China? Are there opinion polls, for instance? Or are there, uh, you know, articles? How exactly do, do you gauge what is the perception of the party like? Bagya, I've lost count of the number of conversations I've had with uh, Chinese people from all walks of life, you know, who say, uh, you know, they, they, who basically look at how China has controlled COVID-19 and, and, you know, they point to that and say that, you know, you need a strong party in power uh, in order to take the measures required to control a uh, virus like this. But if we sort of, sort of to look at it more uh, scientifically, I think last year, Harvard University's Ash Center released a, quite a, a significant report uh, that said about 93% of um, Chinese uh, were satisfied with their government. You know, this, this was you know, a trend that kept rising from the early 2000s all the way up to uh, 2016. And the evidence, I think, is that that has continued to be the case, uh, if not increased, with COVID-19. There are other polls by uh, China Data Lab from the University of California, San Diego, and other Western universities who also have done polls to, you know, show that, you know, the the it's around about that level. You know, about ninety percent of people are very satisfied with how China has has managed the the outbreak. And I think that translates to how they 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 view. Uh, the leadership uh, of the party at this point. So that really must be music to the party's ears. I mean, 90% is amazingly high. Uh, now, how important is this year of celebration to President Xi Jinping himself? It's very, very important. Well, the, the CCP uh, or the party centenary is is uh, known in China as one of the two uh, centenary goals, uh, which I think which when Mr. Xi had come into power in 2012, uh, he had spoken about. So the the first centenary, briefly, you know, it's, it's about uh, the the main goal is to sort of set up uh, in what in China is called a xiaokang shuhui or, or moderately uh, prosperous uh, society, uh, meaning uh, you know this will include sort of eradication of poverty, you know, increase of incomes, which I think China has has seen over the the last few years when Mr. Xi was in power. The second centenary, of course, is a bit uh, more long term. It's twenty forty nine. Uh, it's where Mr. C says uh, China uh, would become modern socialist country, essentially uh, attaining superpower status. So it's 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 very essential. I think it's the fact that he's raised both these goals uh, mean his it's sort of essential to his personal legitimacy. I think. Right, uh, you know now certain party policies, uh, and you've mentioned them. You talked about the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward as some of the more controversial you know moments in the party's history. Um, are there new books out on the party this year or over the last few years? Are the less, um, you know, less celebratory aspects of the party history also being talked about? Well, the more controversial parts of the party history, uh, the party's history, are not being talked about, uh, you know, in such a, a public manner. Um, but the party has released a book uh, in English and in Chinese, uh, basically de- detailing. Uh, spelling out a con- concise history of the party and mentions things like uh, uh, that you spoke about like the cultural revolution um, so most of most of the time uh, these things uh, to my understanding are, are not talked about publicly but uh, are discussed uh, in you know sort of party meetings uh, or party discussions uh, that are not 
um, uh, add to the public. How about movies or television shows? Uh, are there some that have to do with the party history? Are they popular? And actually, do you recommend any of them to our listeners here? Well, TV is is uh, a big deal in in China, and there are certainly a number of shows that have been put on, you know, to to celebrate uh, the upcoming anniversary. I'll I'll tell you about two. So the first one is uh, called Li Xiang Chao Yao Zhongguo, which means "Faith Makes Great" in English, and is basically a TV series based on. A uh, couple of true stories that have happened throughout the hundred years of communism in China. Another one is is called Jue Xing Nian Dai, which which is has English name Awakening Age, which talks about sort of the early years before the party was founded. You know, focusing on on events between nineteen sixteen and nineteen twenty one. They're actually all available on YouTube. So if you you want to learn more about how the party views the anniversary, the kind of stories that they want to tell and they want Chinese people to know. I, I think you can you can sort of uh, look them up on on YouTube, and I think a lot of them also have uh, English subtitles, uh, which would be helpful to to sort of foreign audiences. But yeah, they can be surprisingly entertaining. So you know, if you have time, I, I would recommend you know uh, checking them out. You know, I just might. I won't say I'm a very big fan of the party, and I guess many people are not. But you know, this is a very important development in our lifetimes. We've seen China change, and certainly that has to do with the party. So for sure,、um, I think there is no harm at all in learning more about the history or more about the kind of thinking that's shaped、um, the party and is turned shaping China now. Thank you, Danson, for that very interesting chat. We learned a lot about the party and about China and its history. And I think our listeners would find that useful as well. Thanks, Bagya. Happy to talk to you today. And that's a wrap for Letter from the Bureau. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like to read Dancer's column, we have a link for you in our podcast text description. You will also find a link to other stories in our Letter from the Bureau series. And don't forget to subscribe to the Revamped Asian Insider podcast channel on your favorite audio apps: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. We will roll out new programs in June. That was an SBH podcast by the Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at the Straits Times, the Business Times, and Money FM eighty nine point three.